Hello and welcome to Political World, the discussion programme that takes a look at places and systems around the globe. I'm Sam. I'm Jacob. This week, Poland. We'll be placing Poland in the world before discussing its history, from being a country that everyone invades to a disruptive EU member state, and exploring the country today and particularly the role of the current government led by law and justice. Hi Jacob. So, why do we need to talk about Poland? Well, hello. Um, so, Poland is actually quite big. You might look at it and think it's just this this weird country somewhere in the east of the EU that is causing all sorts of problems now, like Hungary. But it's the sixth most populous. It's the ninth biggest economy after UK's departure from the EU. So, actually, it's a massive player. Because so, it's become a big industrial hub for yeah, the EU. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's also probably particularly notable at the moment for the disruptive nature of the government led uh, by law and justice. Yeah, so the, so the political issues are where it, where it becomes really interesting because we have this new um, right-wing, socially conservative government that is uh, Eurosceptic to anti-European, though they can't actually afford to be that domestically. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to this. Okay, so, so what is Poland? It's in Eastern Central Europe. Yeah. No, no, no. It's in Central Europe <laughs> and Eastern European Union. Okay. Um, and it, it's, it borders... It's next to Germany. It's, it's the next one along from Germany. And it has borders with uh, Czechia, as they like to be called these mm. days, Slovakia, Ukraine, Belarus, Lithuania, and indeed part of Russia, that little detached bit called Kaliningrad. And also, importantly, the Baltic Sea. Yeah. yeah. Poland has lots of neighbours. <laughs> um, and... Religion, it's 88% Roman Catholic. Pe- people are believers, aren't they? Yeah, so religion in Poland is a big deal, particularly in, in, in smaller towns and villages. The church will often be your kind of central hub, which is um, of key importance. You know, the priest will have a very high local stature. It's becoming slightly less important in bigger cities, but those numbers, 88%, shouldn't be underplayed. A lot of people are... Identify. So it's not just cultural. Lots of people identify as Catholics, and there is a degree of culture to it. And a lot of that comes from, in my opinion, the transfer from the communist times to democracy and freedom. So during the communist times, the church was repressed, and the church was really the biggest force of opposition to communism. Cardinal Wyszynski, before Wojtyła, who then became Pope John Paul II, was really the symbol of... of um, anti-government and he was imprisoned and whatnot and you know he was he was fighting so people were fighting for the right to be members of the church and it, it just continues now kind of culturally but I'm, I'm sure belief is a part of it as well okay cool so yeah so it's a big population as you said 38 million poles so they're very significant eu <clears throat> member the sixth most populous in the eu mm-hmm. um and there's a high level of development with a hdi of 0.8 um, and a GDP per capita PPP of $31,000. Yeah, the World Bank is classifying Poland as a high-income economy now, and uh, it, it, I think it, it changed drastically over the last 10 years. The membership of the European Union has really transformed Poland, mm-hmm. uh, and all the reforms that happened prior to joining the European Union and the liberalisation of the economy following the communist era um, really allowed the economy to flourish. It wasn't without its problems uh, for for people with with debt restructuring and whatnot, but it really had a positive effect on the overall standard of living. Mm. 
Yeah, so uh, it, it's a pretty ethnically and li linguistically homogenous state. 95% Polish. To a certain degree, that's a manufactured thing. Following World War II, a lot of people were expelled from Poland. A lot of Germans to the West were naturally pushed out by the, by the, the new... Well, yeah, Communist. the Germans basically either killed minorities and then the Soviets came in and went, any other minorities, you can get out too. Yeah, yeah. So the shifting of borders following um, the war was kind of uh, creating this, this bizarre, homogenous country which used to be very diverse in the very old days before the partitions. Okay, so now today, who is in charge? On paper, the president is Duda, the prime minister is Morawiecki. Um, but th these are on paper. It it's all to the whim of the leader of the Law and Justice Party, Yaroslav Kaczynski, is it not? I think that's an oversimplification. The prime minister doesn't keep changing so much. There was one change since uh, they won the election. So if we go back to when Law and Justice won the election, the, the leader of the party, and by far the most uh, powerful politician in Poland, and the man who's really the puppet master, that's not doubted by many people, uh, Kaczynski, is not that popular. He's seen as a, as a kind of cancerous, divisive figure in Poland. Okay, um, but and whilst... law and justice is broadly popular. They're polling at around 37, 38% constantly, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very, very good result. It, it's strange, given that law and justice is very much Kaczynski's <clears throat> creation, and indeed his brother's. Oh, absolutely. It was the creation of um, of the two twin brothers, one of whom died in the plane crash. The, Which I'm sure we will discuss. The the, the ex-president. Uh, um, but it's a it's an amalgamation of all the right-wing conservative groupings that emerged following uh, 1989 uh, and the liberation of Poland. Uh, and really what they've created is a very effective machinery for winning elections. And they've consolidated a party that is quite powerful in getting its message out. And they've always had a very good PR in the previous prime minister, actually, Shidwa. Um, although she was always quite a low-profile politician within the party, uh, she actually ran the presidential campaign that was won by Duda. She ran the PR machine and she was very effective at that. And it's seen that because she became quite popular over that, uh, you know, that's why she was given the task of representing the party to become the prime minister. Kaczynski was too cancerous. They couldn't win with him and they would have been way too divisive with him as a leader. So she was a kind of neutralizing uh, person. Okay. And she's still very popular. That That's an important thing to remark. Shidwa is quite popular. So is Morawiecki right now, and so is Duda. President Duda is actually a very popular politician, specifically after the two vetoes to the government. He's been seen as not as much of a puppet as people Which may have thought. Which we will definitely discuss. So, yeah. despite all the concerns within the EU and all the problems, Freedom House says it's free. You know, we're not discussing a country that is in the throes of uh, an authoritarian government. We're, we're discussing a country that has a government that has some tendencies that the EU sees as backward on its democratic vision. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is a country that really isn't used to a majority government, a strong majority government, um, which which has ultimate control over everything. And that's partly because the democratic tradition following 1989 isn't that well, strong Because it, it's a proportional representation system. And what's really strange is that peace or law and justice, uh, we will interchange those names, um, 
only got about 40% of the vote in the election, but still has an overall majority in a proportional yeah, so, representation system. So what happened, what failed, you know, some people are still uh, scratching their heads. It's a really interesting uh, issue of proportional representation not working. It's due to minimum thresholds, isn't it? Well, what we have to understand first is that in Poland, you can either go to the polls as a single party, and then your threshold for getting into parliament nationally is 5%. But if you group parties and become a coalition, then your threshold is 8%. The parties to the left that were dwindling in popularity just before the elections grouped together and created what's known as United Left. Now, they created that quite late on. They had limited time for campaigning together under the same banner. Come the elections, they achieved 7.9%. They were a very limited amount of votes away from getting that 8%. But basically, when they failed to hit the threshold, there was a gap in the arithmetic and that had to get um, reallocated reallocated to other parties. And so <clears throat> peace, which is three parties, ended up getting a majority because the smaller parties also got a boost as a result of it and the bigger party got a, a boost wow. uh, as a result of it. So with 38%, they got an overall majority of four between the three of them, which was unheard of. And that their strength comes from a position of wanting to keep power and being quite power hungry. They were out of power for a long time. And I am sure we will definitely discuss this. So let's let's discuss the history. So Poland has a long history as a sort of idea of a state. The nation has existed for a long time. It was first sort of conceived of in the 10th century when uh, states were forced, brought together under one king. Yeah, so we dated back to uh, 10th century. Prince Mieszko I was kind of the first figurehead, and then his son, King uh, Bolesław Chrobra, and we uh, and Poland identifies him as the first king uh, because it subscribed to the uh, the Christian faith, and then it was seen as a country. And and it's it's been Catholic that long, basically. Yeah, it subscribed to the authority of the Pope. Yeah. And so Poland develops and it has its own parliament, even like, you know, it has its own kind of Magna Carta moment when the royalty actually get control of what's going on in the country rather than it just being a one dictatorial king. Absolutely. And almost more organically than, than Magna Carta, it, it you know, developed the, the noble parliament, um, which was a which was a, an interesting institution. You know, it, it developed into elective monarchy. The kings were elected by the Szlachta, which is the, the Polish uh, nobility. But but by the 18th century, there had been wars and Poland as a state had ceased to exist. Um, it was controlled by bits controlled by Russia, <clears throat> Prussia and Austria. Um, and this this continued being the case. And, but there was still a Polish nation. The, the Polish language still kept going. I mean, so, so what happens is Poland was attacked from three sides cut up and then it disappeared off the maps for 123 years but you're right the nation managed to survive 123 years the language continued to thrive there were several uprisings people trying to defeat um Pe people still felt this sense of polishness absolutely and and because of the partitions and particularly in the east uh the areas that were occupied by russia uh because of the repression because of the attempts at russification that feeling almost grew and strengthened as a result of it because people were denied their identity, so they were fighting for it. So Poland comes back into existence after World War One mm. uh, because the Allies say so, and you get this Polish Republic, basically. The, the land that was controlled was quite different to the land that was controlled currently today, but, but still you get this idea of Polish nationhood over time. 
Yeah, uh, that, that, that idea continues, and there's, there's certainly a strong feeling of nationalism uh, following the First World War in Poland. Nationalism as a concept grows, and people are wanting to get their nation And really back. excitingly, people get democracy. Absolutely. Uh, and you from, know, from 1918 until there was a coup in 1926. Yes, but the coup was actually run by a guy who used to be an elected leader as well. well a guy, yeah, Marshal Piłsudski. Wasn't, wasn't a guy the coup who to still... bring Poland back together because democracy had been so divisive, yeah, leading so, to lots of so radicals and actually, ethnic groups having be, their own parties and stuff. Because democracy was reshaping itself and everything was a mess in Piłsudski's eyes, he decided to, to organise a it was called a putsch, um, a, a coup d'etat, essentially. And about 400 people died in that coup. So he was a fully-fledged dictator, although he's often described as a semi-authoritarian. Uh, nevertheless, he is still glorified in Poland. Make no mistake, that guy is popular. Um, you know, he's got, he's got his own square, which has just been uh, retaken by the central government so they can build another... Uh, Smolensk Memorial, but that happens. Uh, you know, he's got his own statues in the presidential palace in the Belvedere. That guy is popular. Wow, okay. So there's only eight years of proper democracy. All the other parties are banned, locked up. Uh, and then and then World War Two happens. Well, before World War Two, we get this exciting bit that everyone knows about. It's the bit where Poland's invaded again. Mm. So one, according to the... In, in accordance with the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, the Soviets get half, the Germans get half. This causes Britain to go, oh dear, we made a promise to the Poles, didn't we? Yeah. So Britain actually declares war as soon as um, Germany invades uh, in September. I mean, Britain doesn't take any military action for a while. It absolutely <laughs> doesn't take any military action whatsoever in Poland or surrounding Poland until the very end, really. I mean, Britain's military campaigns in, in Europe were quite limited, let's be honest about that. Um, um, and, and then about two weeks later, the Soviet army marches in from the other side. They divide the country in the middle uh, and, you know, each country lays, lays their sovereign right to their half and it's an occupied part of it. And I, I think this is worth discussing because recently there's been some controversy in Poland regarding uh, the the involvement of Nazi, the, the Polish involvement in Nazi death camps yeah. that were situated in Poland um, because the government tried to ban the use of the phrase Polish death camps. Um, yeah, so, so typical of this current government is they take an issue that isn't really that big and then blow it out of all proportions and they've managed to create an international diplomatic uh, crisis uh, banning this use of German death camps and lots of other phrases that could lead to denying history. Yeah, and but pe when the Nazis invaded, when the Soviets invaded, people volunteered and people were forced to fight for both sides. You know, there wasn't much choice in the matter. Oh, you, know. you know, absolutely. Um, there was subscription and you either went or your family and you were, were killed. It, it, it was a kind of... It, if you want to survive and if you want your family to survive, you go, that's not at the cracks of this particular issue. So what this um, what this piece of legislation was seeking to do is ban the term Polish death camps. There's a, there's a lot of objection to that in Poland, which is right. I mean, that's absolutely right. Those death camps were not Polish. They were Nazi run. They were Nazi administered. But, but the, the government doesn't want them to be called Nazi death camps because Nazism is an ideology. For some reason, they want to call them to be called German death camps. Absolutely. You see, this government operates on division. They divide and rule and they cause this massive uh, diplomatic crisis, which is paying them dividends at 
home in terms of their domestic popularity, but they're playing with fire. I mean, we don't know the status of the law at the moment because I believe it was suspended yesterday as we record, mm. but it's very concerning from a free speech point of view. Yeah, so people are concerned about academic freedom and free speech, but... But anyway, yeah, so in the war, Poland is divided. The war ends, but the Allies um, are a bit fed up of fighting. Um, so that they choose to have a cold war with the Soviet Union, which means the Soviet Union just sort of march in and go, yes, we're here. Would you like to have an election? <coughs> what? You elected the Communist Party? We're shocked. That's very nice of you. Yeah, so Poland following the Second World War was was uh, effectively a satellite state of the uh, Soviet Union. It was it was a deal, really, struck between uh, the, the three Allied leaders, um, Churchill and Stalin uh, have their famous back of the envelope uh, dividing of Europe agreement, which which has been seen. Uh, and essentially, it, it was a reward for Russia to be controlling Poland. Yeah, and uh, so the Red Army are situated in Poland yeah. throughout this whole period. As liberators, in inverted commas, because, you know, they marched through Poland and kicked the Nazis out whom they were. But, but they stay all the way until 93, I believe. By 1952, the constitution is basically destroyed of all pretense of democracy. The only parties that are allowed to run are ones that explicitly support the communists. Yeah, they allowed agenda. one opposition party, which is still in parliament today, and they pride themselves uh, <laughs> on on being the, the the party that has been in, in parliament but, longest. But, but of course, the, that means the government that... got 99.5% of the vote in almost all elections. Absolutely, uh, under communist rule, on almost and... 100% turnout. <laughs> mm. Isn't that good? Yes, it is excellent. But the, there's nationalisation of industry under the communists, and although interestingly, there's redistribution of land from the elites to the peasantry, but there's not so much collectivization as you see in other satellite block states. So the collectivization really state. happened at a more local level. Um, the, the kind of local state-run farms uh, were a thing. And yet yeah, redistribution was going on, but you know, private property was being stolen by the government and uh, collectivized and redistributed, whatever you want to call it. And there's sort of ebbs and flows in terms of, in terms of how communist the economy is in the in the communist period uh, and in terms of how much role the state has and how repressive they are initially it's quite stalinist but they they relax a bit yeah absolutely i mean following the death of stalin certainly the the, the communist party of poland gets a little bit more flexibility uh with its policy you know by the 1970s poland is struggling to keep the system of uh, the economic system that has been devised and they're taking huge loans from the West in mm -hmm. order to sustain communism. There's a sort of irony to that, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, and, and this becomes even more unsustainable. And there's, there's a decline in communism from sort of the late seventies onwards, isn't there? In terms of the weakening of the party's control. Yeah. So, you know, the church is continuing to fight. There are more kind of, uh, local movements that are uh, anti-communist and also the government loosening its grip on the other state institutions and allowing a little bit m more freedom so, so kind of allows allows the people to and there was one significant organization and that was the trade union solidarity yeah i mean that kicks in a little bit later yeah. and and it really comes uh you know comes out of its shell in in uh 89 when, when it was a key player in in liberating poland well by one point it had a third of poles were members of solidarity as a trade union which means that if 
collect through collective strikes and they can really put pressure on the government. Yeah, yeah. Which is a kind of weird idea, isn't it? I mean, strikes against a communist government by trade unions. It's just uh, it's it's just a little bit bizarre. But, you know, the figurehead Valesa, who's quite well known, uh, who, who later became president and uh, won the Nobel Prize, was kind of he was kind of their, their figurehead. Also, there's the role of uh, Pope John Paul II, uh, a Pole born and bred. Absolutely. So Pope Pope John Paul II was really the the, the following on from Vyshinsky, who was his uh, predecessor and his, let's call him, spiritual father. Um, and he was the Archbishop of Krakow and he was very outspoken. He was pro-democratic uh, and he was extremely popular um, in Poland. And then he's elected Pope. And, you know, again, the trade unions walk out on streets. There's this... I mean, it's like a moment of euphoria, really, in Poland. You know, their man's been elected Pope and he speaks out actively against um, communism. And then he's allowed to come to Poland. Well, he, you know, he, the government he's can a bit no more longer... subtle than that, isn't he? He... He, he? He's not. He was never that subtle outside of Poland. He was very subtle when he was in Poland. I think he understood the uh, the kind of internal complexities. But he was allowed to come in and, you know, 600,000 people show up. Uh, you know, absolute max capacity of an enormous field to listen to this man. And he's talking about human rights. I don't think his role in getting rid of that that communist regime should be underplayed. He was hugely significant in that, as was the church. And, you know, lots of people like to forget about that. And whether you believe in God or not, and whether you agree with what the Polish Catholic Church is doing or not, their role in opposition to the uh, communist regime was absolutely pivotal. Mm-hmm. So time moves on. And by 1989, Solidarity are able to be in a negotiating position with the communist government. I mean, obviously, communism is generally crumbling regionally, mm-hmm. but but Poland is one of the first countries to make these significant breakthroughs <coughs> where there are actually elections where Solidarity allowed to stand only in 35% of seats, but where they do stand, they win across the board. They win all 35%. Yeah, so that, it, it kind of plays into the, this this whole theme of you know, that, that revolution and the transition being relatively um, peaceful and, and quite consensual. So the communist government fall, gradually. Mm-hmm. Gr- there's another election in 91, the first free and fair election. Yeah. That that basically sweeps away the communist government yeah, completely. Yeah, and, and, and basically the, the groupings are very loose and they're not very well aligned ideologically. And, and there's a whole I mean, mess. over a hundred parties stand in that first election. So yeah. it's, it's very, including, indeed, uh, our, our favourite Kaczynski brothers. Absolutely, they were there from the very beginning. And they, they actually won about 9% of the vote in the first election. Yeah. So Kaczynski has been in Parliament ever since Poland was liberated. Mm. You know, he's literally uh, one of the architects uh, of of the current state that he's now claiming he needs to reform. (laughs) Poland had its constitutional shift. The office of the prime minister was strengthened against the president because actually Valesa was trying to build a presidential system, Mm -hmm. which was wasn't really a good idea. The office it's it's a bit semi-presidential, isn't it, it? It it. Technically, as currently, yeah, but the president is on the on the weaker side, really. That's it's it's not French semi-presidential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you get successive coalition governments made up of the hodgepodge, and parties begin to form. But the reforms they're implementing are fairly similar. There are democratic reforms. There's privatization of the economy. There's movement towards joining the EU. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, things that everyone was kind of agreeing on, even the left-wing parties, the kind of successor to the Communist Party, uh, even they were agreeing that some privatisation needs to happen. Uh, you know, they wanted a stronger constitution. And really, it was the left-wing bloc uh, in 1996 uh, with Kwasniewski as, as as president and various uh, left-wing prime ministers that created the current constitution, which interestingly is probably why Kaczynski is so desperate to, to dismantle that constitution. Although it's a very balanced constitution, it's it's it was written by the left. He can't stand that. <laughs> oh dear. Mm. I mean, interestingly about privatization in Poland, it was a bit slower and more relaxed than other uh, Eastern Bloc states, wasn't it? So, so, so there was the beginning, the, the first wave that, mm. um, you know, when the economy was just let loose, uh, it was freed of its um, associations with the, with the communist economy, and that hurt a lot of people. Following that, financially and, mm. you know, fiscally, uh, following that, uh, the reforms slowed, and they were a little bit more. Because the state kept control of a few industries, and and they still and they still do have, you know, the government still has stakes in in enormous companies, mm -hmm. uh, and and that will probably stay. Whereas, broadly, most other Eastern European countries, complete privatization, complete neoliberal reforms yeah. across the board. Yeah. Um. So, what are the important parties that emerge after the return of democracy? Uh, so, you... so we have we have various blocks that emerge. Yeah, not so I mean, much... it's, it's di too difficult to keep track of all the little parties, but absolutely. Cause... But, but there are there are big blocks which loosely translate to what Poland has in terms of its big parties mm -hmm. today. So, I think in terms of the big parties, you have Peace, which is Law and Justice, the current big party. They're the the right wing conservative party. You then have the Civic Platform, which is right of center, more liberal, but again, an amalgamation of kind of. Uh, lighter conservatives and kind of uh, liberals. Uh, civic platform is Donald Tusk's party. Who, <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. He who was, is... he was, I think he was the second leader. He obviously left to become leader of the European Council mm -hmm. in 2015 or 2014, was it? 2014, yeah. It was a um, year ahead of the elections. Uh, and and the, the final one is the Democratic Left Alliance. Is that yeah, correct? which is still a massive party. So although they failed to get into um, Parliament... Parliament. Uh, they are enormous and their machinery is still probably uh, the one that can take on the government and try and reduce uh, their their majority. And interestingly, in, in some of the latest polls, they are coming back and they're coming third at about 10%. Okay, so we have three big blocks broadly, like the civic platform, law and justice. Civic platform is a liberal kind of uh, economic party. Economically uh, liberal. Chris Christian... Yeah social democratic there's a christian part. democratic element in there certainly it, it seems to be smaller now and we have law and justice which is a right-wing nationalistic kind of conservative yeah, outfit definitely and the democratic left alliance which is a broad left and the polish people's group. party which is dwindling at about five percent constantly mm -hmm. but they're always they're the obvious coalition partner for literally anyone that will take them <laughs> great so in 2004 poland is one of the accession eight it yeah. joins the European Union. It's approved in a referendum by 77.6 of the Polish population. 
Um, and they joined Schengen in 2007. They're properly integrated into the European Union. Yeah, and Poland is a success child of the European Union. Like its economy is growing throughout the crisis. The economy continues to grow. It's going from strength to strength. The democratic reforms are happening. It's a firm member. It's willing to negotiate. Um, um, Everything's going great. And before great. it was a member, it had quite high unemployment. But as soon as it became a member, they could all migrate to Britain. And, and what was actually interesting about the migration is studies have shown that the Polish remittances have been reinvested in the economy significantly, whereas some other Eastern European states like Bulgaria and Romania, the reinvestment has not occurred. Yeah, I think that's a lot of that is to do with the fact that the, the general sentiment of the Polish immigrant is at some point I want to go back and, mm. you know, they're going to build a house or, or whatever or they're going to go back and work somewhere with their new qualifications and their new foreign languages and whatnot. And a lot of people are coming back, especially now, in, you know, in the uh, wake of the Brexit vote. So I think this really brings us forward to the modern day, Jacob. Huh. There are several governments uh, in the intervening uh, years and they're all coalition governments. Yeah. Everything changes when we get a majority government. In 2015, doesn't it, really? In 2015. Well, prior to that, we had the Civic Platform and the Polish People's Party Coalition, which was very stable for eight years. Tusk was the single prime minister for seven years. Then he left, uh, you know, he, he betrayed Poland, went off to Brussels uh, to, to find his nice new job. Um, and then, yeah, Poland gets a majority government and it's never been faced with that before. And the government starts a, a kind of assault on power. They really centralise their power really quickly. They insist on majorities in every single committee and whatnot. So what is law and justice? They're a Christian right-wing conservative outfit. Where did they get their popularity? Why did they win in this election? Uh, I think there, there was a number of factors. So the government civic platform was dwindling because of the various scandals that were mm -hmm. embroiled in. People didn't feel like they were moving forward enough. You know, they've been in power for eight years. That's a long time in Poland. It was a single government for eight years. Tusk, who was their kind of most popular figurehead, uh, left. Kopacz became prime minister. She didn't seem that strong at the beginning. The Poles like strong leaders and strong governments. And then we had uh, the, the economic platform of the Lauren Justice Party, which was largely left-wing and populist actually you know the 500 plus it's the it's the big handout to children yeah the like, it's called the 500 which, plus. which actually obviously played to their core base which is rural catholic people who are the most likely to have more children so for every child you get in poland you get a lump sum not payment. every it's starting from the second one but, okay but, yeah. well the more children the better yeah it, well, no, no exactly and you know big families are, people are quitting jobs which created more, more jobs for, for other people and there, there was also a sense that among more provincial Catholics, the civic platform wasn't really listening to them. It wasn't for them. It was for the Warsaw elite. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's definitely still a feeling that the civic platform wins in the big cities uh, and the big towns, and peace was always winning in in the rural areas. So, so we have that effect, and then we have the issue of getting out the vote in Poland. Uh, so in Britain, we're used to parties having their get out the vote operations. In Poland, that's that's not a thing. Everyone's automatically registered to vote. The parties haven't got access to any uh, electoral register. It's it's a proportional representation system, which means that the only effective machinery of getting out the vote is actually the Catholic Church, because the vote happens on Sunday, and the priests often uh, encourage people to go and vote. They're likely not to say who you should vote for, but it's clear that the demographic of people who are in, uh, you know, in in the church, 
uh, is going to vote for peace overwhelmingly because peace is seen as the Catholic party. You know, they're, they're pro-life, uh, they're pro-family, etc., uh, etc. Et well, yeah, because obviously there was the recent thing where they abortion is already very restricted in Poland and they tried yeah. to restrict it even further. They did. And that was a, a beautiful uh, example of how, you know, the civic community in Poland can really pull through and the black protests, the, the, the protests of women all w- across women Poland. Women marched across Poland. Yeah, it really put a halt to that and the government went, oh, God, this is actually big. They really mean this. And they stopped, which is not something they do. I mean, they blindly follow through with most reforms, whether they're good or bad. But this they stopped with. So, you know, this, this kind of civic idea of, of protest, it, it can help. So who is the puppet master? Who is Jarosław Kaczynski? So Kaczynski is actually one of uh, two twin brothers. His, his brother died and, and... His brother Lech. Yeah. And... They were involved in the Solidarity Movement. They were tied to President Lech Walesa uh, in the past, and they created peace. They created that party. And it kind of went from strength to strength because they built very strong institutions around uh, that party. And he was actually prime minister. So before when they won an election in the early 2000s, he did the same thing. He knew this that he was wasn't in a coalition, that, though. He, he wasn't that popular. Uh, and he had a technical prime minister who wasn't even an MP, you know, who was appointed. But then he fired that guy in 2005, took over. He was prime minister for two years. They lost the election in 2007 to civic platform uh, majorly. Uh, so right now he is um, in control of the president. He's appointing the prime minister and he's probably got the vast majority of say over who's in the cabinet. And a good example of, of his power and his influence in Poland is the fact that Rex uh, Tillerson, the US Secretary of State recently, when he came to Poland, his first visit was to Mr. Kaczynski in the party headquarters. Not no, the prime not minister. to the president not or the, the prime minister. It was to in, the head of the party. And it was in the party headquarters. And that was so symbolically powerful that he gets foreign leaders, you know, like Orban, like Tillerson, to come to him uh, and, you know, he's seen as this remote figure who's really scary. And so what's the role of what, what's the role of his relationship with his brother? Because they were twin brothers and they both founded the party. They were both involved in the solidarity movement. Yeah. Um, and it's when his brother was president that his brother died in a very tragic plane crash that really shook Poland, didn't it? it... Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. And, and it continues to shake Poland to this day. But I think. Uh, Jarosław Kaczyński, the guy who's still alive, was clearly always the leader of this. And it's it's really uh, explained well by the quote of President Lech Kaczyński when he won. Uh, his first words on the stage when he won was, Mr. Chairman, mission accomplished. And he was talking to his brother saying, I did what you wanted me to do, I became president. There you go. So there's a plane crash in 2010 and his brother Lech dies. 96 other people die, including many top Polish officials. They're going to Russia, I believe? They, they're going to Russia to, to uh, commemorate the, the Katyn massacre. Yeah, so... Which is a killing of, of about 70 Polish um, officers. This gets out of hand because the plane crashes into a tree in Russia and the investigation is done by Russia. I mean... And, and Yaroslav Kaczynski, the living brother, is a bit of a... He believes a bit of a conspiracy theory. So he's he's in opposition at that particular point. And obviously the, the plane with the prime minister, the much smaller plane, landed before, but it landed on a different airport because of the fog and whatnot. Um, and there are two investigations going on side by side, really. One in Poland, one in Russia. The plane is still in Russia, 
Russia is refusing to hand it back to Poland, which just plays into part. But what you've got effectively is a hundred Polish higher-ranking people, including the president and the first lady, lots of MPs, lots of generals, crash in Russia. And their bodies are scattered all over. And they, they come back, tests are done, they're in wrong caskets and people are mixed up and whatnot. And it's really quite a terrible thing for Kaczynski because his twin brother, whom he spent his entire life with, really, I mean, all he has besides his brother is a cat. I mean, he's gone. So Kaczynski goes a little bit crazy and he gray, like his, his hair goes gray in the space of about two months. He, and he starts these kind of conspiracy theories that, you know, the Russian government meddled. And, you know, and he, he starts to accuse civic platform, yeah. the opposition party and the Russian government of conspiring to kill his brother. Absolutely. He, he absolutely does. And, and there's still a feeling in that party that they're still going with it. The, the ex-Minister uh, of Defence in Poland, Maciejewicz, who's the, the, the crazy-in-chief of that party, uh, you know, he's, he's openly saying that Tusk had a hand in it. There was a, a conspiracy between the Polish government at the time and the Russian government. I mean, uh, that's to, libelous in Britain. To, to, yeah, to take that, that play down. Um, because but, there's literally no evidence of any... Absolutely not. But it, but it gives Kaczynski this platform to shout about something that is deeply personal. Uh, and, and he continues to do that. And it seems not to be playing a very big part in, in really domestic politics now. But it's still a thing. They still commemorate it every, every month. Does the fact that he thinks Donald Tusk killed his brother play into relations with the EU? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, what, also, it's it's the fact that that government and Kaczynski think that Tusk should be there to represent Poland. They seem to fail to understand that he's there to represent a European Union institution now. But the fact that Tusk is representing the European Union institution is outrageous for them. They hate him. There's a, there's a, but that shows know, how powerful Poland now is, does it not? No, absolutely. It, it does show the importance of Poland and, you, you know, it's, it's, important, it, it's important role in... in compromise making in in the eu but they're about politics of identity division and attack so there are strained relations with the eu peace is breaching eu rules regarding democracy because they're trying to change the constitution make judges directed appointly they're not trying to change the constitution so much they're actually actively breaking the constitution uh so the first thing that peace did that was that was a big problem was they appointed judges to the Constitutional Tribunal, which determines whether legislation passed by Parliament is constitutional or not. Uh, and they appointed judges into roles that were already appointed by the previous Parliament. Then the, the uh, chair of that Constitutional Tribunal, his term, ended. They appointed uh, a woman who was a judge in the Constitutional Tribunal before, but whose husband is directly linked to PIS. Uh, and she just approved uh, those. President Duda approved the new judges, not the old judges. Uh, and the government is still refusing to publish one of the um, uh, court judgments of the Constitutional Tribunal, which is holding that the piece of legislation used to streamline, in, in inverted commas, the working of the Constitutional Tribunal um, is actually unconstitutional. But the EU can't take action against Poland though because it's backed up by Hungary you need a unanimous vote in order to really take action against a non-complying member state well that's that's not necessarily true whether Poland is backed up by Hungary or not is is definitely not a not a given Orban is a very skilled player on the European uh, scene and he's willing to compromise with the most amount of people because Hungary also has a similar kind of illiberal democratic 
uh, yes, but actually, at the moment. action has been taken against Poland now. You know, they've initiated uh, the procedures under Article 7. So, you but, know, Poland is on EU, the... Is the EU really, does it have strong enough institutions to really take action? I think we're about to see. And I think the EU is basically testing its own strength right now. So they're checking whether they can push through with this. I mean, it, it really depends on whether the mm -hmm. EU decides to be strong and decisive or flake out on it. Okay, and despite these strained relations, peace claims to be an EU-supporting party. They have it? to claim that. It's, it's, it's electoral suicide in Poland to be anti-European. The European Union is still... They're in, part in, of the same Eurosceptic bloc as the British Conservative Party in the European Parliament, aren't absolutely. they? Absolutely. And, and look, some members of that party, including probably their leader, are outright anti-European. They, they don't particularly want... Uh, 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 an institution at a European level which in any way limits national sovereignty. You know, they claim to be protecting national sovereignty, which has played a, a little bit in Polish domestic politics, but not much. The, the, the Poles' attitude to the European Union is actually growing in positivity. Uh, because the latest... it's brought economic prosperity, it's brought Absolutely, democracy. and it's also seen as a symbol of democratization you know it, it helped poland to keep its democracy when it could have dwindled away and that but, but now eu funnily enough is failing like to Ukraine. protect and safeguard that democracy so mm -hmm. so <clears throat> we mentioned the holocaust law yeah. um, regarding uh, the term polish death camps um, but what was really interesting about this is how poor foreign relations the peace government have so that so much so, rather it blew up across Europe with governments going, no, you can't crack down on academic freedom like this. Yeah. Um, so what the government did was they made an advert, and they posted it on websites across Europe. Yeah. Uh, defend it about how great how how much the Polish had done to preserve the memory of Jews. Yeah, so th this government is actually completely incompetent when it comes to diplomacy. I mean, uh, it's been reduced to paying for YouTube ads in order to get its message out across the world. And it's just led to an awful lot of confusion because a lot of people didn't know this was a thing. Yeah, no. So random people in, like, Middlesbrough have been going to watch a Katy Perry video and they're confronted with this video. Uh, of, of a random Polish prime minister the... <laughs> who's speaking good English in a really bad accent. Um, but look, Poland's relations diplomatically are strained with US, one of its key partners. Germany, completely one of its key partners and one of its key economic partners. I mean, almost 25% of Polish exports are going to Germany. The Polish transport industry is completely interlinked to the German one. The two economies are very close now. Uh, it's completely strained with Russia over Smolensk. I mean, they are running out of allies very quickly across the world, not just in the European Union. And it's it may pay some dividends in Poland because, again, the Polish people like strong governments and they like that government to say, we're doing this because we want to and we're a sovereign nation stop telling us what we should be doing but that's not how diplomacy works i mean you have to compromise in international relations okay so quickly before we finish given all the problems this government are causing for poland overall mm. or at least this government having this such strong grip on power yeah uh, causing what are the chances of the peace government not outright winning the next election i think it's too early to say we're going to have to look at 
the European elections and how they go. Uh, the presidential elections will happen uh, before then. Uh, and it largely depends on whether there's going to be a new blog that is going to be able to take a sizable chunk um, of the vote away uh, from from the, the general election. And also, is peace going to meddle with the electoral system? Do you think they're capable of that? I think that I... Yeah, I think they are capable. And it's kind of scary to watch what is going on. But I... I I think they could try and do it. What is more nuanced is whether the Polish people are going to let them do it. Well, thank you very much, Jacob. That's very interesting. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Political World. If you enjoyed the show, then give us a good rating as it helps others find it. If you felt if we could improve the show, then why not get in touch? We're in the process of developing the show and are looking for feedback and new outlets to to make the show available on. So, if you have a specific comment or suggested platform for us to make it available on, get in touch via our WordPress, which is literally just politicalworldpodcast.wordpress.com. The music is from Blue Dot Sessions and is licensed under Creative Commons. Join us again next time on Political World.